Good morning. Welcome to church, everyone. It is good to be here. Always good to be here. I, uh, this is home for me, or one of my homes is probably a better way to put that. Um, I hope it is for you, too. If you're a visitor or it's your new first time here, welcome also. Take a breath. Each week we begin with the Word. We go to the Word and, and read a scripture. Um, this week it's from Psalm 22. I read ahead a little bit because when I read it, I said, where is this coming from? Where is this going? And I had to get a little context. So I read ahead. And this is David. And David was lamenting things that were going on in his life and lamenting the hard times he was going through. But he goes on to this. Let's go to the word. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in a great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all, whose fam all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, for the ability to come before you. When we are downcast, downhearted, wondering where you are, Lord, you come around and, and you give us the ability to praise you through those hard times, to praise you through those difficult things. Thank you, Father God. Lord, I lift up those who are coming to this room who are in that position, Lord God, that you would touch them, that you would lift their hearts, that you would give them light, that they would see who you are and praise you for that. I pray for every part of this service, Lord God. As we lift up our voices to you, they would bring joy to your heart. As Jason brings forth the word, may we hear it, may it sink in and change us to go out into this world and change it for your kingdom. Bless everything we say and do here, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we do our creed? I do not. Ah. I believe in God, the Father Almighty the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. Let's worship.
Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord. You are holy forever. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. We cry out to you for the peace that only you can give, that satisfies the thirstiest among us. We live for the joy that is unmatched in all of life, but found only in you. We pursue the life that is given abundantly by a God who wants to lavish the best upon his people. And we ask for the forgiveness that you give to us and that you enable us to give to others that we can't give on our own. We reach for the freedom that life lived with only you offers and we find nowhere else. God, I pray that you would work in our lives. Give us ears to hear the things that you want to say to us. I pray you would interrupt our lives, that we may hear you, that we may want you, that we may see you, that we may praise you and seek you, and even question you when we are in a place where we are wrestling and need answers. For God, you are a God who can handle that. Here today, we are your people, we are your church, and so many of us are in need. So many are searching, hurting, angry, addicted, wanting more for their life. And God, I pray that those here today would personally feel your presence, that they would individually be met by you, and they would know that you see them individually. And Lord, that corporately we would bond together and that we would lift you up and that we would lift each other up. Provide healing and peace and freedom and abundance here today. I pray that you would cover that bill, that job, that decision that we need to make, that need, that extra thing that extra provision that we need that can only be found in you that we don't know how it's going to work out. I pray for the person that's depressed, dealing with anxiety. God, you are more powerful than anything that seems so big that we are crushed beneath it. I pray for our kids, our youth. I pray for our families, our marriages. I pray for our grandparents in this room who have grandkids that they pray for, for kids that they worry about, who have marriages that they've been in for a long time. God, I pray that you would ignite new love in marriages that have been um, going on for years, that there would be a newness, that there would be new mercies, new passions, new love. For God, you see them, and they are just as important And you have plans laid out for the person that has been walking with you for 50, 60, 70 years. Just as good as important as when they first knew you. Help us to have courage, not be afraid, for you are so good and you have good for us. We love you and we magnify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a moment and greet somebody this morning.
Well, good morning. We are very glad that you're here with us. If you're joining us online, we're thankful that you're with us too. Um, maybe some of you are here for the first time and have watched us online in the past, so we're glad that you're now with us in person. Um, we hope that you feel welcome this morning. If you are new with us, um, we would love to get to know you after service. Pastor Jerry will be at the Information Center, and there's a gift for you. Um, we have some information cards so we can get to know you a little better and um, provide that our church does that you'd like to be involved in. So um, we're glad you're here. Please feel welcome. I would also like to say if you have brought your kids this morning, we're very thankful our kids are here too. Um, There's a nursery out back, um, or not out back, (laughs) there's a nursery outside of the hallway um, that streams the service, and you're welcome to use that. Um, And we have Children's Church for our three-year, 18 months through three years old, up at this staircase and at this staircase, um, our four- and five-year-olds up to sixth grade will take them that way. So um, if you would like to do that during the service at any point, we would um, love to provide your kids with some teaching and learning and some fun. So welcome. Speaking of kids, um, it is coming in July, Vacation Bible School. Our registration link is open, so you can scan in your bulletin the QR code. If you are a child who's three years old and potty trained and knows how to use a QR code, you can scan the QR code. Um, If you are 65 and want to be a volunteer and know how to scan a QR code, you can do it also. Um, So if you're a kid who'd like to be a part of it or a volunteer um, who's been part of it in the past or might like to join us for that week, um, July 8th through 12th from 9 to 12 in the morning, we will be going underwater um, doing some scuba. Uh, this year, so we would love to have you. Please save that date if you haven't already. And like I said, you can start registering uh, already. And we would love every time I get an email that there's a new registration, I get very joyful. So um, I would love to have you that week as well as our team. All right, coming up um, or during this time of Lent, as we observe this time of preparation before. Easter and before um, our Good Friday, um, Pastor Jason has given us a spiritual growth plan. So here's your challenge. Um, if you have, have not been a regular church attender, come to church during this time of Lent. Um, there are devotional books outside um, by the welcome tables that we will be going through. There's a reading each day that you can do with your family. So if you come here regularly, take the next step to be reading those devotions together. Also outlined in your bulletin is readings through Matthew, um, so you can add that to your readings as well. All of those things will take you probably less than 20 minutes to do all together, so um, that is a great thing to do. And finally, if you're interested in going through the book that he has on the screen, um, you can scan just our general information QR code for a link to purchase that, um, but that would be sort of your last step uh, in completing that spiritual growth journey in this time um, as we think about the cross, as we think about the hope that we have that comes um, through Easter and as we prepare for that time together. So you are invited to take a new step, to take one more step maybe than you have in the past um, and be part of this time. Okay. Next week, the youth are going snow tubing. So if you are a middle schooler through high schooler, you are invited. Even if you are not normally a attender of the youth group, we would love for you to be on this trip. So see Pastor Jason. He'll get your permission slip, tell you about it, let you know where we're meeting and how you're getting there. 
Um, so that's a fun time to get to know each other and to have some fun in the snow before it's all gone and we can think about the summer, <laughs> which is what I like to do. And finally, as we thank you for um, your giving, we just wanted to highlight uh, the vaults, which is our outreach to youth in the center of Washington. Um, Brian and his team have been doing a wonderful job. They are full almost every time they are open. So yes, give them a round of applause. Uh, we talked a little bit about supporting the vaults not that long ago, a few months ago, and you guys were so faithful in providing what they need. Um, so all of those red numbers have turned to black numbers as far as with their budget. Um, so you can be very, very thankful that that place is there, and we are thankful to you for providing um, that place to keep the doors open, to keep the kids fed, um, kids just in town who walk down the sidewalk and walk in those doors and are able to um, see adults who care for them and hear the good news of the gospel um, and be with other kids as well. So thank you for helping to provide that. If you are um, a, a donor to the vault, you'll be getting some information soon, just a thank you letter. Um, and if you would like to be part of that as well, you can always give online and designate it to the vault. But I know Brian and his team are very thankful for your support, as are we for all of our ministries and the things that we do here. There's many ways to give. You can um, give in person with an envelope and put it in one of those brown boxes that you see around and you can give online. And mostly we thank you for being so, so faithful um, each week so that we can be here um, and spread the good news from these doors out into our community. So let's stand together as we continue to worship. So it occurred to me while Joy was praying that no matter where you are at, you're in the right place. Individually, no matter what's going on in your life, this is the place to bring it. Next week, we introduce a new song called Jehovah. And in that song, we, we sing through a number of the names of God. Jehovah DC fights my battles. Jehovah Jireh is my provider. Jehovah Rapha is my healer. Jehovah Shalom is my peace. Wherever you're at, focus on Jehovah, the great I am.
thank you so much for your greatness. And we... And yet, I struggle to find the right words because you've chosen to allow your greatness to be involved in my life. That you desire intimate relationship with us. And so you're present in our everyday. And so the God who spoke the words, the world into existence speaks into my life, speaks into our lives. God, we honor you and we worship you today. I pray that you would, that your presence would be tangibly felt and witnessed in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. And adults, you're not dismissed. But while they're going to Children's Church, check out this video. Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church, or FTC, we typically call it, and we're glad that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. It really is an honor to have you here. It's also, for those of you joining us online, first I want to apologize for not saying hello to you last week. Uh, You're a a huge part of our community and what's going on at our church, and so we're glad that you're here. Thanks for being being with us in the community, I encourage you uh, during the service this morning or during my talk to chat to each other, uh, tell each other what uh, you're encouraged by and that side of the type of stuff. Uh, if you're new with us, we are in the middle of uh, Lent. Um, yeah, 
totally, totally lost my train of thought. Laura uh, Dini was sharing the announcements this morning, talked about our Lent spiritual growth plan. We're in the middle of Lent, and so during Lent this year, we are studying uh, a series called uh, Lessons from the Cities. It's a look at six of the seven cities that are written to in the second and third chapters of Revelation. I was fortunate enough last uh, summer to visit the remains of several of these cities. And so as part of this study, I'm attempting to share with you what I experienced when I was there. Uh, not trying to do like a, just a uh, pictures of my trip, but the... When you visit biblical places, the Bible can come alive. And so I want to talk about what what I experienced and also what Jesus was talking about when he wrote to these cities. Last week, we looked at the city of Philadelphia, and we found that God empowers the powerless. And so today, we want to turn our attention to Smyrna. Smyrna, uh, in the first century uh, CE, and there's a, a, a... a picture of what it would have looked like in the first century. It was a vibrant, dynamic city. It was a melting pot of cultures and ideas and traditions that had thrived thrived amidst the, the bustling currents of the Roman Empire. It was filled with architectural splendors and thriving marketplaces, and it stood as a testament of and the, to the enduring legacy of its ancient past and also the pivotal role it was playing in shaping the, the Roman uh, rule in the eastern Mediterranean. Uh, it's actually the only one of the seven cities still officially in existence. Today it's called Izmir. And Smyrna has this excellent harbor. You can see uh, that's the ancient idea of the harbor. It had those walls that came close so you could actually close off the, uh, the harbor in times of war. Um, and uh, it, it it had been destroyed. It was a, this beautiful city as you could see in this, uh, this idea, uh, picture. Uh, it's probably AI drawing first century Palestine. But uh, it's about three or 400 years before this, it had been destroyed by a, a, a king of a rival area, a king of a place called Lydia. And it was rebuilt in 290 B.C. as a model city. It boasted a famous stadium, a library, uh, and a public theater that was the largest of its time in Asia. It it claimed to be the birthplace of Homer, the epic poet. Uh, Its acropolis or um, marketplace stood on a mountain called Mount Pegasus. And I think we have a picture of this. Um, And you can see, so picture yourself, that previous picture showed you the harbor. Now picture yourself standing at the harbor, looking up on this mountain, and that's the uh, Agropolis. It almost looked like a crown. It had a road around it, almost like you would think of a moat around a, a castle. It had a road around the mountain at the top that was paved with gold. From the harbor, it, would, it looked like a necklace or a piece of jewelry around this royal area. And they called that portion of the city the Smyrnan Crown. Because it looked like a crown with this necklace be, uh, below it. And so from the, from, in its time, it understood beauty. 
It was, uh, in New Testament times, the population was probably around 200,000. Coins found from that time describe it as the, 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 first, the city as first of Asia in beauty and size. And so there are a couple of key points, that I, the reasons that I tell you this. First, Smyrna was known as a city that had come back to life. When we read the letter in just a few minutes, you're going to see that come back again. So this city was famous for having been dead and now alive. The second thing, it was known to have a large crown on the mountain above the harbor, as we said. Uh, here are a couple of pictures that I took while I was in Izmir. The first, uh, our first couple are... Uh, uh, Roman aqueducts. Uh, water played a huge part in this port city, and pretty much everywhere Rome went, water was a major thing. But uh, it, um, this was the f- uh, first, st- by the way, this was the first city we stayed in, and after traveling through the night and day, I was really loopy when we finally around, uh, arrived at our hotel. The, my peers have videos of me uh, falling asleep as I'm eating. It's pretty, I didn't want to show you those, but uh, just... Full disclosure. Um, we visited the, the, the Agora Open Air Museum, and we saw many. We can go to the probably two more. Yeah, that's another aqueduct, and we can go to the next one. Okay, so this is at the base of that mountain, and this was their Agora. It was a, uh, the marketplace. It was where they would have most of their daily activities, and this is where I found that the people of Smyrna are my people. Go to the next picture. That is the the underground. That that would have been underneath. Uh, that's the basement of the marketplace. All of these arches, and there had a floor. It had a floor above it that was marble. That's been torn down over centuries. Let's go to the next page. It was really hot. Really hot. You could see sunblock on my face and. Uh, I'm, this is, and we can go to the next one. In the basement, in these catacombs, they have air conditioning. That trench down the center is filled with cold water. You can go to the next picture. From this spring. They don't know. They still to this day have not figured out the source of this spring. But that water runs through those channels and it cools those catacombs. They had ancient air conditioning. These are my people. I realized I was home. Then I went to the modern day marketplace, uh, street fair. And uh, I was with a bunch of my peers, but I stood out, I think, because I was the tallest and the biggest. And the vendors saw me and saw big American. He'll spend money. And so I became a target that my friends thought it was hilarious. But um, it's in this uh, environment. This is the only uh, active city that's written to in Revelations 2 and 3. It still happens. And so when you go to the archaeological dig, it's just on a one city block that they've kind of compiled all the, all the stuff. And there's tons of, of Roman words that you can read if you know Greek. I don't yet, but I'm going to be there pretty soon. Um, but... Uh, all kinds of, right in the middle of the city. So you're at a hot dog stand, and behind you are those, those giant pillars that we showed you just a second ago. The church in Smyrna 
was likely the result of Paul's ministry to to areas of Asia while he was in Ephesus. We see this accounted for in Acts chapter 19 in verses 10 and 26. This city had a strong allegiance to Rome, and it also had a large Jewish population that was actively hostile to Christians. It made it exceptionally difficult to be a Christian in Smyrna. The most famous martyrdom in the history of the church happened in the second century. By, it was a, a bishop named Polycarp. He was in Smyrna when he was executed. Uh, he was believed to have been a, 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 a disciple from John. Like he knew the apostle John. So it goes Jesus to John to Polycarp. He had uh, uh, two um, he was two parts away from being with Jesus. But he refused to acknowledge Caesar as Lord, and so uh, he was placed on a board and burned. We, as early as a second century letter from a person named Ignatius to Smyrna, we see that the church by that point was well organized. It had a bishop. It had elders. It had deacons. And so we have this beautiful city, loyal to Rome, with a large population of Jewish people that made it difficult to be a Christian, but that doesn't stop the movement of Jesus from growing. That's the first thing I want to point out today. History is filled with examples of the church being persecuted and growing. Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 18, is talking to his disciples. And Peter has just made this in, uh, declaration that uh, when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus, in response to that statement, says, on this rock, he's talking about the truth that he's the, the Messiah, that he is the Christ. On this truth, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. There are times when we, uh, throughout history, like I said, that it's been difficult to be a Christian. It's been difficult to be part of the church, but the church does not get defeated in those times. It continues to grow. There are times when we can look around at our society. We can see things that disappoint us. We can see the things that frustrate us or discourage us. They even sometimes make us angry. But we can remember that Jesus and his church will prevail. And so this morning, let's dive in to uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. You can read on your, uh, on your phone. You can read in the Bible that's in your pew or the Bible that you brought, or you can read on the screen behind me. It says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. Now, this is Jesus. This is Jesus dictating to John. He says, to the angel of the church of, the church of Smyrna, right. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came back to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of, about, of, of what you are about to suffer. I tell you. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Excuse me. Christ tells us that he's, Christ tells them that he's aware of their suffering. 
He then forewarns them of coming persecution, and he encourages them to be faithful even to death. There are times in my life, there are times in our lives, when there are just no words. I'm a person who likes to have, prides myself on being able to have the right words to make things better. I pride myself on being able to find the right words to offer comfort or to provide the appropriate amount of solace to people who are hurting. There can be so much beauty in being able to share the right word at the right moment. But honestly, there are times when words don't measure up. When no words can fix the problem. Jesus sees the church in Smyrna. He's aware of their situation. Sometimes just being seen and being aware can mean the world. Jesus reminds the church in Smyrna that its afflictions and its poverty have not gone unnoticed by the Lord. The Greek word used here for afflictions refers to uh, many kinds of trouble that one would face. It refers to all the different kinds of trouble that the, the, the church in Smyrna is undergoing. It paints a picture that the church is being crushed, almost like a vice is squeezing it. Combine, and then combined with its affliction, this imagery that Jesus says that he notices, that he sees about them, combined with that, he, call, he lists poverty. There's probably a connection be, between the two. In an, antistic, in an uh, antagonistic environment, it would have been difficult uh, for Christians often to make a living here. And thus many were economically destitute. First century Christians faced problems. We see that throughout the New Testament. We see that throughout the letters. That was, there were times where it was difficult. Hebrews 10.34 says, You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Throughout Scripture, we see this theme that there are times where it's difficult to be a Christian. And yet, his kingdom continues to grow. Jesus knew what it was to deal with afflictions. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us that he is able to sympathize with us. He, that we, he, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't not know what it's like. And so, in verse 9 of the, the letter to Smyrna... Multiple times he uses the phrase, I know. And when he uses the phrase, I know, to them, he's not just saying, it's not just an awareness of the occurrence. It's not a, just a, I know this happened to you. It's an awareness of experience. I know this is happening to you, and I know what it's like to deal with what you're dealing with. And there's a very different way of communicating that, of receiving that, of hearing that. When the person who's caring for you really understands what it means, it gives so much more encouragement. He's not belittling them and just giving them a pat. You'll be okay. He says, I know what it's like to go through what you're going through. 
It's a, but he, continue, he encourages them to continue in their work. You see, they're, he's understanding, they're understanding that they're aligning themselves with Jesus. Romans 8, uh, Paul writes and says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Paul's saying, when we suffer for Christ, it positions us to share in the glory of Christ. When Jesus writes to Samaritan and says, I know you're going through difficult times. I know it's hard. Keep going. He's saying, you're going to share in what I want. See, for Jesus, he understood what it was to deal with afflictions. He knew what it means to suffer. But he also knows that on the other side of suffering is the reward. And for Jesus, the other side of suffering represented the power of the resurrection. And so when Jesus writes to the people in Samaritan, he says, I know it's hard, but keep going. Because on the other side of this suffering, you're going to share in the power that defeats death. Ooh. Ooh. I, I, I like, I, that, I'm an athlete, so that puts me in the locker room with the really, the really encouraging, energizing, inspiring coach speech. Keep doing it. Jesus' comfort for the Samaritans is possible because he's been there. He knows what it means to suffer. But it's not only that he is aware of their affliction and their poverty. He's aware of the slander against them. The people in the church in Smyrna were, were struggling, as I said earlier, they're struggling uh, in their relationships with the Jewish people. And the Jewish people had kicked the Christians out of the synagogue. And so they were no longer to worship there. Uh, and the people of the synagogue, along with Roman authorities, were conspiring to pressure the Christians. And here's what's happening. In Roman culture, Caesar is Lord. The emperor is God. And so there are, there are requirements for Roman inhabitants to worship Caesar. Those, inhab- those requirements usually revolved around finances. You had to pay a tribute, and you had to be part of your um, business had to go to Caesar. Because of things that had been negotiated throughout time, Jewish people were exempt from this. Because of their strong relationship to their God, Jewish people did not have to follow the same rules in the Roman Empire as other people did because they, this had been negotiated and they were part of the synagogue. And so as long as you were part of the synagogue, you were exempt from certain rules. But now the, Jew, the Jewish people have excommunicated or kicked out the new Christians. The people who have turned from Judaism to Christianity have been expelled from the synagogue. And thus, the Romans are saying, you don't get those rules anymore. And so now it's, if they don't pay tribute to Caesar, it's really hard for them economically to live. Business suffers. Finances suffer. They're persecuted. On top of that, they can be arrested and thrown into jail because they're not worshiping Caesar as Lord. It is to these people going through these difficult situations that Jesus says, you are rich. 
The Samaritan believers may not be outwardly an impressive or an, an, uh, an enviable group, but in heaven's measure, they are rich. You see, this, this goes back to the beginning of Revelation where it talks about churches being blessed. It goes back to the kingdom of heaven uh, and that Jesus introduces in Matthew that we talked about weeks ago. The, the economy of the kingdom of heaven is different than the economy of this world. The church in Smyrna understood or was learning that to be rich in the kingdom of God means to, have, to possess spiritual wealth and blessings that transcend material possessions and worldly status. Everything in the Roman culture was status. And Jesus is saying to them, don't worry about status. You're rich. They think you're poor, but you're not. It imp- Rich in God's kingdom implies having a deep and intimate relationship with God, being filled with the riches of his grace, of his love, and his presence. The church in Smyrna demonstrated their spiritual witness through their unwavering faith, their endurance in the face of persecution, and their steadfast commitment to Jesus. Their, their allegiance to Christ, even the midst, uh, in the midst of suffering, exemplify these true riches in the eyes of God. Being rich in God's kingdom involves prioritizing spiritual values over material wealth. It, impl- it means seeking the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. It means treasuring eternal blessings and promises of God such as salvation and forgiveness and peace and eternal life above temporal possessions and achievements. Ultimately, to be rich in the kingdom of God is to experience the fullness of God's presence and his provision. Finding true fulfillment and joy in him alone. It's a state of being that transcends earthly circumstances and endures for eternity, bringing glory to God and blessing to his people. These people who by any earthly circumstance would be the least likely you wanted to be, God is saying you're rich. That challenges me. What do I value? Who do I think is rich? Who do I want to emulate? Who do I want to be like? And so to these people, to this church, Jesus has two encouragements or exhortations for them. First, he says, don't be afraid. Last week we learned that Jesus offers power to the powerless. This week we see that Jesus offers courage to the fearful. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, Jesus is preparing for his death. And those of you who have been around, you hear me talk about this quite often. He prays. If there's any way this could go any other way, God, let's, let's make that happen. Now, that's not an exact quote, but that's what, what he's saying. God, if there's any other way for this to happen, let, let's choose that one. 
but not my will, thine be done. The crux of his prayer in Gethsemane is that he would finish well. God, give me the courage to die for creation. Because at any moment, see, Jesus is God. He could have called down the angels to save him. And in the moment of pain, I probably would have. I'm not a, I'm not a fast, fast dirt. I'm not fast, first of all. I don't like the fast, especially I don't like the fast food. Because I really like food. But occasionally I will participate in a fast. I know, several times I've participated in a Daniel fast. Some of you know what that is. It's, it's a certain diet that Daniel ate that you can find in Scripture. But really what it is, it's an elimination of sugars. My body really likes sugar. And when, I, when you do a Daniel fast, day four and day five are where your, your body is really starting to crave because your sugars have run out and your body's yelling at you to eat bread or candy or something that will give it that thing that it's addicted to. And so on day four and five, I'm really cranky. Some of you have seen me cranky. Very few have seen me four, day four or five cranky. And on day four or five, it takes everything inside of me to not eat what my body is screaming for. And then you get through it and day, like, day like seven to day 21 isn't as hard as days together. Isn't as hard as day four or five on its own. But those moments of difficulty, you really want to fix it. And Jesus faces a bigger difficulty than we could ever imagine. And in that moment, he doesn't do what any of us would find natural to solve, to deal with the immediacy of the pain. And he asks God for the courage to help make him through, to get him through. And that's what he's encouraging the church in Smyrna to do. Find the courage to make it. Don't be afraid. It's going to be hard. Keep pushing. Keep going. I know what it is to face difficulty. You can do it. It's not a machismo challenge. It's a call for them to trust who they know over what they see. Sometimes that's hard for us. In your week this week, there are going to be moments where it's easier for you to trust what you see than what you know in in Jesus. But what you know in Jesus is eternal. What you see in the moment is a small view of a temporary. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then he says, be faithful. Continue, keep doing what you're doing. It's going to lead to good. And he says, because you, when you do this, your reward is going to be a crown. Remember where they lived. This was a city that understood the beauty of a crown. They could, at any time, they could turn around and look up and see this sparkling, beautiful crown of a city, on their city. And Jesus says, your crown's going to be life. 
They understood the value of the crown is what it stood for. I told you this had a, they, they had a big stadium. They were known for their games. They'd give um, like olive wreath crowns. An olive wreath crown was basically worthless until it was tied to winning a race. Then it was invaluable because it was a trophy for what they had won. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a crown that's a trophy for what you've won. And that, crown, that trophy is life. You're going to live forever. You're going to share in the joy of the resurrection. Jesus was going to honor them the way they saw in their day honor being bestowed. I've got to wrap up. Let me offer you a couple takeaways. First, following Jesus does not guarantee life will be easy. Thank you, Captain Obvious. It'd be really nice to say when you come to faith in Jesus, everything's easy. There'll be an automatic deposit into your account. And everybody who doesn't like you will now see you in a whole new light. And you'll be the most popular person. And everybody will want to hear what you have to say. And instead of kicking you out of the synagogue, we'll welcome you in. More and more people. It's just the best life. It's not guaranteed to us. But just because we... Jesus doesn't guarantee life will be easy. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to suffer. Second takeaway is Jesus knows what you're facing. Can we go back to that Hebrews 4 passage? I think it's the next slide. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. Now, the context of this passage is a little different. It's talking about our weaknesses. But Jesus has gone through what we went through, what we go through, to the highest extent. He went through it all so that when he was victorious in it, he could share the victory with us in anything we might face. For those of you who have had somebody who has been through the difficult experience that you're going through and comes to you and says, I know what it's like. Oh, what a gift that can be. That's part of the reason we're supposed to be encouraging to each other. It's part of the reason we come to church, so that we can encourage each other. I know you're hurting physically. I experienced healing from Jesus. If he can heal me, he can heal you. Can we pray together that you could experience what I experienced? And you encourage the person you're with. Jesus knows what we're facing. He knows what you are facing. It's not a surprise and he's not afraid of it. Third, how the world sees you 
does not determine how Jesus sees you. And you get to choose. Will you see yourself the way the world does or the way Jesus does? It's hard. I'm going to talk to young girls for just a second. You live in a society that thrives on making you feel bad about body image. And some of you hate to look in a mirror because you see what magazines tell you, what social media tells you, what TV tells you, what Hollywood tells you, what your friends at school tell you, all of the influences. Let me tell you something. When you, when Jesus sees you, he sees perfection. When you look in the mirror, you can choose to see what people say about you, or you can choose to see what Jesus says about you. Let me tell you, the path to life is what Jesus says about you. Powerless followers of Jesus are not powerless because they are covered in his power. To his fearful followers, Jesus offers confidence and boldness. Jesus said, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to send what the Father has promised. And when the Spirit comes, you'll receive boldness. It means you'll be able to be his witnesses to the world and to yourself. Being a Christian isn't always easy. You watch the news, being a human ain't easy sometimes. Jesus says, stop looking at what the world is saying. Start looking at what I'm saying. Walk into my peace and I will give you the crown of life. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you for the life that you give Help us here at FDC and at the other churches in our communities to walk into your truth and to shine your light, to not be afraid, to not be aware of our afflictions, but be aware of your power. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to share communion this morning, and we're going to change something up. This is not always easy for us. We're going to ask you to go to which, instead of going to the center aisle you're closest to, we're going to ask you to go to whatever aisle you're closest to, and we'll have four stations in the front to receive uh, the elements. If you're new with us, we share communion at the end of most of our services, and we invite you to participate. What it is is you'll, you'll see a line. People will come forward. You can follow the line. Receive the elements from one of our leaders, and then come back to your share, chair, and we'll share communion together. Guys, why don't you come and um, you can stand and...
And you can come forward and receive the elements. Scripture teaches us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was having dinner with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it. And he told them that this bread is his body which had been broken for them. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for the body that was broken for us. Lord, ultimately you faced death so that we could have life. And so this morning... We remember you. We remember your sacrifice. And we gratefully come and honor you. Would you take the bread? Goes on to say, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the cup. Thank you for your blood that that somehow washes me clean. Jesus, I thank you for allowing yourself to be sacrificed, for choosing to follow the Father's way, and for submitting your will to him. Help me, help us to follow that example. May we submit our will to you. In your name we pray. Would you drink with me, the cup with me? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. God, I pray that those of us who 
are aware of our afflictions, of our poverty, and of the slander that's talked about against us. May we find our courage and our hope in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday. Thank you. No.